one knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play. Where to play. And how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live. A weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing out there? Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez. Uh, we've talked poker here on another edition of the show. Bring it to you from South Florida every week. Uh, usually midweek, it's posted just uh, so you know. Uh, we also are carried on the Hold'em Radio Network, usually either on Friday or Saturday night. It's always like 7 or 8 o'clock, really nice time slot. And uh, they give plenty of promotion. Uh, usually we're either before or after the Annie Up podcast. Also uh, Dave Tuckman, uh, Tuck on Sports. Uh, has a program on there. A lot of really good stuff on there. So, uh, you know, you don't even need to uh, search out anything. You just go to your regular spot for great podcasts, the Hold'em Radio Network at hold'emradio.com, and you can check it out there. But you can go to Stitcher or SoundCloud or all the other great places that carry our show and uh, probably working on a few more uh, down the road uh, as uh, things add around the world. Uh, for podcasts and other great radio-type programs. Uh, I look back to the beginning, Joe, when we were on the radio, uh, <laughs> real radio, and and how much things have changed. Uh, you know, our good friend Joe Costello uh, with us today in the studio here. He's been in the radio business for a long time. We worked all down here in South Florida with the sports shows, WQAM, uh, uh, WINZ, WIOD, wow. all the different stations. And uh, the great stuff, of course, Joe worked with Neil, the great Neil Rogers, Passed away uh, several years ago, and uh, I kind of look at things now, and it's just I don't listen anymore myself. I have gotten away from it. I was a big fan of Ed Kaplan, and who was a good friend of mine, uh, Hank Goldberg, and a lot of people here in South Florida. So, oh. you know. And, well, for me, I love listening to Ed Kaplan. You know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him. I'm sure you're the one who introduced me to him many years ago. And I always loved listening to him because I always got out around midnight. His show was always on late at night. Uh, wasn't a huge Hank Goldberg fan. Loved listening to Neil when I when I was off during those times. And like you said, it's so strange now because the only radio I've kind of really listened to locally is is the Levitard show. And when he first started, which, I couldn't stand is, him. Which I couldn't is horrible. Sta- it well, is horrible. I couldn't stand him when he first started, <laughs> but I I kind of enjoy it now. It's uh, so. Uh, but you're right. Well, we won't you, get into that. You don't get into that. But listen, I know you're not a big fan of him, but. Uh, you know, it's an honor me here because you and Joe Costello here have worked with some great people in the radio. I've, you know, I've li- I've heard you on the radio before. I've heard Joe talking on the radio as a guest on some of the racing shows. So uh, I'm just grateful I could join you guys every now and then. It's just a whole new world, technology-wise, uh, where you can do a show, uh, you know, from from a from a small studio and get it up there worldwide, as opposed to. Uh, going to a station, paying big bucks for studio time, uh, all the uh, production uh, values were good, and, and and certainly enjoyed that. But it's just a different life now in, that we live in. And uh, of course, there's so much out there; you got lots to choose from. But uh, uh, I, I look at Joe, and and uh, I know that he's adapted. And, uh, you know, it's a whole different world out there. Well, Joe's a lot younger than us, so, <laughs> so, so it's a lot easier for him to adapt to, to, to the changes uh, of technology, even though you're very capable of that, Dave. Not that much younger. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, jump in here, Joe, a little bit. Uh, you know, 
you couldn't have imagined this 15 or 20 years ago when we worked for some of these people. Uh, obviously, Neil was uh, was a trendsetter in the business, and you know, people that don't live in South Florida may have, may or may not have heard of Neil Rogers. But uh, uh, I worked with him in the very beginning of my career, and even produced his show for a while in uh, what was a news talk station, WNWS, years ago. And it was all issues and political type stuff. And Neil was the best because he would get so angry at some of the things that happened in South Florida. And he was the most articulate guy when he was mad. Certainly, he was Hall of Fame broadcaster. Uh, one of the great, even even right now, I'm working on a blog for Homestead Miami Speedway. And I have to reference that I worked with Hall of Famer Neil Rogers. Uh, but the world is different in that you were searching for an audience. And through that audience... You could convey ideas. Well, now the audience is the world. It's accessible through the Internet. And anyone can reach that world through uh, niche programming like you're doing, like the poker players right now who are saying to themselves right now, hey, Big Dave and Joe, they're going to be talking about the next tournament. They're going to talk about strategy. I want to hear. I want to get on board. I want to subscribe. I want to share. That kind of thing. None of that was possible in the past. Right, exactly. The only way people could convene was through the radio. Imagine the old wooden box radio that families would gather around to hear Little Orphan <laughs> Annie or something. Well, now it's your mobile device. We have fractured into groups of poker players that are worldwide listening to this podcast, racing fans for me. So I, I view it as a, an opportunity for guys like us to connect with people who are fans, and that's why... You know, what you do with your social media and your Twitter feed and connecting to all these people and the Facebook group, the fact that they hear you guys, they know what they're going to get. They know Joe is his strategy. They know Dave, you're in on the tournaments, that you're out there, you're at the games. They want to listen. They're going to click subscribe. They're going to write a review on iTunes, and they're going to want to share the show. I think, and, and that is a recipe for success. But it's not, it's not strange to see people adjust and make changes as technology changes. Uh, I think of uh, Neil in, in what he did for a long time, and he just got sick of it. You know, uh, He felt like he was banging his head against the wall. He talked 30 years ago about bringing casinos here to South Florida, how it would blow uh, Atlantic City out of the water, that Vegas would uh, have huge competition, and it would change life here in South Florida. Well, it took... Uh, to really after his death before it really came to fruition. But he got sick of all the political stuff. I can remember, uh, and, I, and I told you I had saved this tape for years and ended up uh, losing it, but uh, it was a show about uh, uh, Scarface, when Scarface was sh shot here in South Florida. And because some people didn't like the content of the movie and what had made uh, you know dr glorified drug dealing and that sort of thing, uh, with uh, Al Pacino, uh, they basically drove the movie out of town and millions of dollars that could have been made by people here in South Florida uh, simply uh, went to L.A. They shot it the same stuff in the same way and the same script, and they shot it in L.A. except for a few uh, outdoor scenes and some um, you know surrounding stuff that, that they were edited in later. But uh, it just cost this whole community tons of money. I can remember how angry he was and how articulate he was uh, blasting the Miami politicians for, for doing that to this town. But I, I look back at how he changed, and he turned into a comedy show, and, and with the comedy bits and, and all the great stuff, and, and was just developed a huge audience out there where he made, he made over a million dollars a year, from what I was told. Oh, absolutely. And when I began to work with him in 1996... As a uh, coming out of a warehouse, wanting to be in talk radio, listening to Neil in the warehouse, and then suddenly I'm working with the guy. 
I recognized it immediately as an opportunity to learn directly from the best and his methodology, and, and certainly I, I apply it. But he always said, keep it light, as intense and serious as you want to be. Try to keep it light, and that's what the comedy bits did. And he had a uh, an intense mistrust of anybody in uh, power within the radio station, within government, or otherwise. And, and I think they didn't hesitate is, to blast those people on here. Absolutely, <laughs> somebody has to. And it's interesting to think of how Neil would fare in our modern media environment. And I don't know if the answer is very well or not. Well, a different person for a different age, but it is what it is. Well, don't you, don't you think he would have thrived with uh, Sirius XM uh, radio, his style of uh, He could have had style. a Howard Stern type that's, channel. That's exactly what I was thinking about. The, you know, I, th- I think he would have opened up even more so. Yeah. Those he, conversations happened, and if you're interested in your South Florida radio, scuttlebutt, mid-90s, early aughts kind of thing, I was in the middle of it, and I can say I was at XM Satellite Radio when – Part of that discussion happened about Neil going to XM Satellite Radio, and I spoke with a VP of programming, and they just viewed Neil as a local phenomenon, and that was the quote, local phenomenon, not fully understanding Hmm. because how could you if you weren't a weekly or daily listener to Neil Rogers? And the answer is there's no way. In fact, George Rodriguez, who is a personal friend of mine and was Neil's producer and recently went up and gave the... Radio Hall of Fame induction speech for Neil, which is available on the Internet, uh, said that many times throughout their run, people from outside of the state, larger markets, just couldn't understand the success that Neil was having because he was a one-off. Now, I know that there were conversations about Sirius and about XM. Howard Stern did a wonderful job eulogizing Neil as he passed and said that they had actually talked about it. But in the end, I think that the real drive to be a success and an entertainer and to get his view out there and all that had gone away from Neil in the end when that kind of technology was coming up. Maybe if it happened in the 80s and 90s, he would have been all over it. But here he is. He's in his 60s. He's already had the success of making millions of dollars or a million dollars a year for at least 10 years. To go into that fight, the answer is why. Yeah. And he didn't, and it's a it's a shame. I think he could have – I don't know what would have happened. He would have either have been a great success or assassinated, Well, the other one thing, or the other. The other thing people don't uh, realize about Neil, a lot of people who found him toward the end of his career, uh, is that he was a tremendous sports play-by-play guy, especially baseball. did uh, University of Miami baseball. He did some minor league stuff. Uh, I think he even did Michigan State uh, young uh, in his young part of his career. But uh, one of the great play-by-play guys and really could have been a, a fabulous uh, major league announcer uh, You know, once we got baseball down here in South Florida if he had decided that. But, of course, Neil wanted to be Neil, and he, he said the things he wanted to say, and it did drive some people away from him and uh, maybe uh, took away some of his uh, possibility, uh, his possibilities that he could have uh, really expanded on. A premier one-off talent, there is nobody else like him, and he was pro-gambling, he was pro-tolerance, he was pro-so uh, many things in this city 
but also in this country. You may recall he would go to Europe and he would talk about Italy and he would talk about going to just various places and how far Amsterdam. behind Amsterdam. Amsterdam. That's what I remember. How far? Wonder why he was going there. <laughs> how far behind we were, and it, it is interesting to see it. It's almost as if, in many ways, we've fallen further behind. In other ways, we have caught up. But he was an advocate for many of the things that you guys talk about on this show. Well, what's this have to do with poker? Well, nothing. I guess we've got to get to the topic at hand. But uh, that is Joe Costello, by the thank way. You, thank you. And uh, Joe helping out with the technical end of the show tonight. And uh, you can always pick up his program, WFO Radio, uh, on the uh, Internet. A uh, couple of different shows that you air. Well, I can assure you that motorsports people are also card players. It is just a fact. And we have a, a devout racing audience, and I would love some more poker players to be devout racers as well. Uh, I see a lot of uh, similarities in the strategic thinking that has to happen based on what you guys say and talk about on this show and some of the decisions that crew chiefs have to make about outwitting their competition, that kind of stuff. So there is definitely crossover. Thank you for the plug. Well, definitely, <laughs> and uh, certainly appreciate everything you do. Uh, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, uh, a few things out there, including uh, kind of wrapping up the session in the Florida State Legislature. We talked a little bit about it last week, but uh, it still had three days to go when we were on last week. Nothing happened, as we knew it would not. And so still, it's just an extension of the Seminole Compact that was uh, expired in 2015. Now here we are in 17, and it keeps going on, but really hasn't changed yeah, and anything, Joe. And it's Joe. funny because I, I think they're afraid. You know, even though we know the Senate bill was going to try to open things up more for the paramutuals and to allow more slot machines throughout the state and the counties that the voters have, have approved, uh, you know, have wanted uh, slot machines, but... Man, it's almost like they're afraid that they're going to lose. You know, obviously, if they make any kind of a deal, they're going to lose whatever they get from the, from the Seminoles. Right. But they're, they're you know, because they don't know. It's an unknown how much money they can draw from from the other casinos. And if it's just in Dade and Broward, it might be a smart move on their part. But if they open this thing up for the whole state, you know. They could tell the Seminoles to keep it. They'll be they'll be bringing in more than enough money yeah, well, for for that. At least in my opinion, they can't get anything done. So it goes to the courts. There is this big case uh, for the Gretna uh, Gretna tr uh, track up there that uh, that has the barrel racing up in the Panhandle of the state of Florida, and that case will be coming to uh, the I believe it's the Florida Supreme Court, uh, and there'll be a ruling there. And what comes out of that could change everything, uh, especially for those counties that really want to have uh, slot machines have voted on it in their own referendums, and it has passed, and uh, they feel that they have some grounds to do that. So we'll see what happens. That's going to affect the drive. This is right course. up Neil's alley and yeah, one of the stuff he used to get all upset about. Absolutely. Uh, we'll also try to get to this uh, little talk about uh, seven-card stud. We didn't get to it last week. We'll try to do that tonight. Uh, if you're looking for Bernard Lee, by the way, he was supposed to be on tonight. And uh, gave me a call yesterday, said that he was going to be at uh, a tournament somewhere where he was going to have a hard time hearing the show. So he said it would be much better if he could put it off one week. So we will do that, and Bernard will join us next week. Of course, he is celebrating his 10th anniversary of his uh, radio show, the Bernard Lee Poker Show, and uh, all the things, great things he does in uh, the game of poker to promote it. And we'll have Bernard on next week. The following week, we'll have uh, Dr. Tricia Cardner, who is a... Uh, a specialist on the uh, mental aspect of the game. She's also a player, but uh, she has uh, written a lot of articles, uh, done some stuff with uh, Jonathan Little in a couple of his books, and also uh, 
uh, is good friends with Daniel Negreanu and talks about some of his goal setting and things like that. We'll get to that with her on the 24th, which is uh, two weeks from now. So uh, right before the World Series of Poker gets underway, some interesting shows that may help you a little bit on uh, looking forward to uh, conditioning your game mentally for uh, for doing well out in uh, Las Vegas this year. And that's so important because it is such a grind out there to be out there those many weeks. And, you know, besides the physical aspect of it, you definitely need to have your mental game in, in, in tip-top shape. Right. Uh, the other story I'm working on, I actually sent it in, so it will be in the uh, June issue of Annie Up Magazine, a story about uh, the new uh, High Lie slash Poker uh, operation down in Florida City. We, for people who've never heard of Florida City, it's actually south of Homestead, uh, which <laughs> some people will go, what? How is it's that possible? It's going to be right at the end where the turnpike yeah. meets US-1. It's the gateway to the Florida Keys, basically. So they will attract a lot of people coming up from the Keys that, that like to play poker but have to drive all the way up either to Miccosukee or Magic City or even into Broward and the Hard yeah, Rock and that sort of thing. North. But uh, a long way down there. And... Uh, Basically, they're able to open a poker room if they uh, fulfill their requirements for a highlight permit that they uh, were awarded uh, a couple of years ago, 2015, and uh, sat on for a little while but because they weren't ready yet. But uh, looking for a way, you know, obviously, uh, for people who know highlight, it has a one-foot-thick granite front wall, which is millions of dollars, and, and putting together a real highlight fronton would be very difficult. So uh, they're taking a different route. They're going with sort of a uh, what they're calling a prefab structure, basically uh, some sort of plexiglass court with uh, they're going to use the plastic highlight cestas and a rubber ball, and it's not going to be the exact same highlight game as it was. They do want to use the professionals and the top players. So uh, basically the requirement was to run their first matches by June 11th, and then run three more before the end of the month. So uh, that is what they're going to plan on doing. As soon as they finish the high line, uh, I guess there's four performances uh, altogether, they will be able to petition the state for their poker license, and they plan on opening a six-table small poker room uh, on the In a trailer, from what I was told. Well, they call it a sprung building. And, uh, you know, they... It's not a tent. It's I, I guess it's similar to a trailer. I don't know exactly what the definition of a sprung building is, but it's some sort of temporary structure. And they have good big plans. And I got a chance to uh, interview Steve Calibro, who is the general manager at Hylia Park, used to be uh, years ago at Gulfstream. But uh, Steve is uh, uh, kind of uh, heading up this thing. Uh, actually, heading up the whole project is John Brunetti, Jr. It's the people from Hylia Park that are putting this, this together. A lot of people familiar with John Brunetti, Sr., who uh, bought Hylia back in 1977, uh, had some really great glory days there uh, in a beautiful track in Hylia, uh, fell on some hard times, had to close. It looked like they were going to be left out of the whole casino scene, and then they got it back. They brought back quarter horse racing. Uh, they have a very nice poker room there, and, of course, the beautiful historic surroundings of Hylia Park with the pink flamingos out in the middle of the track by the lake. Yeah, well, you know, the John Brunetti is the reason they... Um they took away, remember how, you know, the, every racetrack, every fronton, every paramutual down here had to put in for the dates that they were going to be open. Right. And the horse racing industry down here, just like the dog racing and highlight, you know, you're kind of like with your, you know, your competitor, okay, you're going to take these dates, I'm going to take these dates, and, you know, we're, we're not going to cross paths because, you know, the, the rule stated you had to be open during the days you said you were going to be open. Right. 
And uh, Brunetti, I remember that. I don't know if you remember that, but Brunetti had Robert Casas, as, as, had his politician in his pocket, busting everybody's chops up in Tallahassee till they finally said, okay, you know what, we're going to open this thing up for everybody. Apply for whatever dates you want, but you better run those dates. Yeah. And he thought that he could compete against Calder and Gulfstream. You know, and uh, unfortunately, as beautiful as we know the Hialeah racetrack is, you know, they're, they're, they are dead center in the middle of that town. There's no easy in and out of there, and uh, they suffered. They suffered well, and eventually closed the, a gorgeous racetrack down because they couldn't get horses to race there. Right. They uh, it looked like they were done and, and missed yeah. the opportunity of having exactly. uh, a casino, which is, of course, you had to run uh, for, I think, two consecutive years or something. And he had been and down a certain for a time, while. Yeah, he had, he had been down, and people wrote him off. Uh, they said, you know, he's not going to be able to uh, take advantage of these new laws. And uh, he proved them wrong. He uh, brought back a quarter horse racing there. Uh, would love to, I think, uh, someday reopen the track to all its glory with with uh, thoroughbreds. But uh, it's a beautiful place, a nice casino, a uh, really nice poker room, 33 tables, and uh, really an uh, interesting place. I was down there last week, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, this is a new effort for them. And whether they're able to expand on High Lie, uh, we'll see. We'll see what the reception is for the game. I, I think it, it could be good. Uh, but we'll see. You know, uh, I don't know what it's going to look listen, like. Whether I, they're going to get the right I, players listen, out there. Anything that expands poker down here, I th- I'm, you know, I'm all in favor of. And you know, the young lady who's running Hialeah, Adriana Jimenez, uh, used to work with me. You know, she's done a great job. And and you know what? It, it's it's refreshing to see after what the Hialeah Poker Room went through uh, almost two years now, uh, right? This August will be two years. I think it was August, yeah. Yeah, this August will be two years that they had that big scandal with the tournament, costing, uh, you know, Nelson and Acosta uh, his job, and uh, and Danny, you know, and a bunch of the staff there, you know, lost their jobs, and, and on some of them even their reputations with everything that, that, that went on over there. But they, they continue to have tremendous numbers over there, so... You know, I'm giving a lot of credit to Adriana for, for for steering the ship in the right way. Yeah, let's mention Angelo Garcia, who is the director of poker operations and will be for the new one down in Florida City. Uh, he does have someone else, I think, that will be on the on site, uh, you know, all the time. But uh, uh, they anticipate having a really good staff. They're going to have some pe- hire people from down in Florida City. They're, They're going to bring some people from Hialeah, and who knows how many well, other people they'll bring. For anybody in South Florida who's listening, was listening to our podcast down here. Uh, they are having a job fair at the site uh, this Friday from uh, starting at 8 in the morning till I don't remember how late in the afternoon, but they are having a job fair. So if you're interested in getting into the poker business or, or working in the fronton, whatever it is in the startup building, uh, they are having a job fair this Friday. Okay. I think I might check that out. Um Speaking of uh, some of the tracks and the competition and that sort of thing, I was over at Gulfstream on uh, Saturday for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, of course, the place was absolutely jam-packed, uh, the ladies with their hats, and uh, it was really a nice day. Uh, the poker room, uh, about 13 tables running when I uh, looked at it uh, in late in the afternoon, maybe about 3, 3.30. And uh, I got out of there before the race and watched it at home, but I uh, got some bets down, which uh, didn't come in. But uh, had, had You some mean fun. you didn't hit that $75,000 super factor well, or 16000 trifecta? The funny thing is, is the horse that finished second, looking at Lee, my sister's name is Lee, and she just uh, did a great job helping me out with a, a move that I made. And I actually played that horse, and I played the third-place horse, too. 
And I played the winner, but I didn't have them all in the same bets, unfortunately. You know, there's a thing called box. Well, I, did, I, I, I had several boxes, but it just was one of those things where I played a bunch of different horses, and I did not have Always Dreaming well, with the two uh, long shots. That's that's the whole thing. Was it 20-horse field, was it, or 19-horse field? Something like that. Something, you know, no, 20-horse field. 20-horse field. But the, I, the Superfect, I think, paid seventy five grand. or yeah, something Yeah, it like paid 75000 <laughs> The Trifecta, trifecta 16, was $16,000. And that's what the favorite winning. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine that with the yeah, favorite winning? I mean, you just put the favorite on top of six or seven different horses, you could have had the winner. But anyway, uh, let's take a break here on the show. We'll get into some of our poker stuff, a uh, little strategy and a little uh, uh, discussion on what's happening around the world of poker as we normally do. Uh, but first, we'll take this break on the program. You're listening to Poker Action Line. You can always pick us up on uh, the different uh, aspects that I mentioned, Stitcher Radio, you can pick us up on SoundCloud, you can go to our website at PokerActionLine.com. Pick us up on iTunes, that's been a place that a lot of people have got the show for, for a long time. Uh, the Poker Fuse podcast page is another place, so uh, lots of places out there to pick up the show on a weekly basis, and we bring it to you every week, midweek, and, and uh, Joe? And just to make you aware, your great friends at Hold'em Radio, oh, yep. they did a marathon this past weekend of all their different podcasts that they put up. And put out a great list of all of them, and guess who was right at the top? Yeah, I saw that. Guess who was right at the top? <laughs> I saw that. I think they like the show. But good to hear, and uh, certainly we'll bring you more of the show tonight. And uh, don't forget, next week, Bernard Lee will join us, Dr. Tricia Cardner the following week. So great stuff as we head into the World Series of Poker. I'm not sure when I'm going out there, which part of the series, uh, probably toward the end, maybe toward the main event, but we'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, we'll return when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. What is that? Oh, that? It's my time machine. Does it work? Sure. Just hit this button. Whoa, dinosaurs. Cool. Or we can go here. Hey, that's Napoleon. Oui. Or we can go to the future. Wow. Hey, you have this nice house. Do I have a nice house? No, you didn't save any money. Always spent it on vacations and stuff. If only there was a way I could go back in time and correct that bad habit. Yep. Okay, the time machine is not real, but the saving thing is. Get in the habit of putting some of your money in savings each week through a 401k, savings account, or financial investments. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy tips on saving, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. What does this crazy little button do? Wait, no! This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the show, Big Dave and Joe. And Joe. <laughs> Two Joes. Two Joes don't make a right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we are uh, coming to you again uh, from South Florida, and uh, look forward to some of the guests that we're having. But uh, tonight, no guests. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, 
Seven card stud, I want to get to that in a little bit. But first, uh, talk about a couple of things. One of the South Florida players that is just on fire is Maurice Hawkins. I got a chance to interview him last week on the show. Uh, we carried the short interview. And, and you know, we've talked with Maurice several times, and he wasn't in a great mood, so it wasn't one of our better well, uh, that's interactions because, with That's him. because you're interviewing him right no. after he got knocked out of a tournament. Well, that's, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the life we live here yeah. as poker reporters. But you got to get them before the start of the tournament. But the amazing thing was that uh, Maurice won his 10th World Series of Poker circuit bracelet earlier this year in Council Bluffs, uh, just about a month ago. Uh, he had a, won a tournament at the uh, Palm Beach Series. Uh, last year, he won back-to-back main events on the World Ser- Series of Poker circuit. And then he came back after the Council Bluffs victory, had two final tables at Cherokee, uh, Harris Cherokee in North Carolina, finished third and fourth, and then had a deep run at this Isle tournament that I covered last week that rode up for Annie up. uh. So uh, this guy is just like every tournament he plays. So uh, now I looked at another tournament, and I see that he made the final table in the main event at uh, the Horseshoe in Baltimore uh, last week. Well, where did, is it still going on? Or no, it's or, over. Uh, Mike Cordell was the winner. I think he, I think Maurice finished seventh or eighth, something like that. But was actually the chip leader in day two. Wow. Well, yeah, he's just dialed in. That's uh, he's just amazing. You know, it, it really is. And and you know, one of the things I would have loved to ask Maurice is, uh, does he have a clear vision when he's when he's having this luck like this? Are you you know are you cleared in as to what your opponents have? You know, that you're making these deep runs. You're, you're obviously making the right moves throughout the tournament to reach these final tables. So, you know, is, is it something that everything just seems crystal clear? Like like baseball players say they can see the, the spin, the rotation of the ball when it's coming in. The great hitters yeah, can. Absolutely. You know, and to get somebody here locally like that, next next time you speak with Maurice, I'd love to ask him that question. Well, he's he's... Uber confident. I mean, this guy is uh, never saw a player that he didn't think he could destroy, and and we'll tell him about it too. And as no, it's guess what? You know? He's had a lot of success, but the you know, the 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 unbelievable run that he's on now, you know, if something different, you know, that he, that he has seen, like you said, over the last what three four months, he's won a couple of tournaments, and he's final table four or five others. You know, it's just. It, I don't know. I mean, I know the the, the 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 few times in my life where I've run really well, it's just like I know when to let a hand go. I know when to press a hand. It it just seems so damn clear to me. And and just the opposite, obviously, when all of a sudden things don't go your way, it's like you you're you're not even close to putting your opponent on on the on the right hand. You know, you're 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 stepping on the gas when you should be taking when you should be hitting the brakes and and vice versa and i just want to know if he feels that if if that's what he's feeling you know throughout I'm sure, the tournament i'm sure he is I, I really am by the way mike cordell uh who's a 46 year old pro from uh, little rock uh was the victor 148,000 uh the field of 449 for that main event uh picked up the game back in uh, 2002 had an interesting story on there he lost his father and then his mother uh, was very sick, and he stayed with her and uh, uh, took care of her. And she passed away right before he was set to go uh, to the 2016 World Series of Poker last year. Uh, and he was heading out for the opening event. She passed away, and, and instead of uh, jumping on a plane, he had to plan a funeral. So uh, 
he said he he knew that she would want him to go eventually, and he did go out there. And two weeks after his mother's funeral, um, he uh, defeated Pierre Neuville uh, in head-to-head to score a bracelet uh, at the World Series, so 350000 in cash. So that really made his bankroll, I think, for uh, for his career, and kind of an interesting and nice story. It really is, you know. Had a little help from above. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, they are moving on, by the way, now to uh, New Orleans. Hera's in New Orleans. And I I was just there, uh, I guess, in October of this year. I did a game, a Tulane game for ESPN. Uh, worked for uh, my good friend Dave Lamont as a spotter. And uh, so I got a chance to pop into the Hera's uh, there in uh, New Orleans, which is just on the fringe of yep. uh, the French Quarter, French quarters. and a great place. I remember when I get, went there a few years ago for a, for a, uh, a bowl game, uh, the R&L Carriers Bowl. Uh, it was funny. It was on a Sunday, and Dallas and New Orleans played on Saturday night, and it was when uh, uh, New Orleans was undefeated at the time. Was that their Super Bowl year? Yeah, it was the Super Bowl year. It was two or three years ago. Uh, I can't remember the exact year, but uh, it was a huge game, and, of course, all the Dallas people. And, and it was funny because the game was Saturday night, so Saturday afternoon the French Quarter was just a madhouse. Everybody went to the game. And then Sunday, when we had our game, went over there during the day to the French Quarter, and it was dead. <laughs> it was like everybody had left town, so it was uh, it was pretty neat. But anyway, that's a nice, very nice casino over there, and uh, that's where they are headed next. That uh, gets underway with uh, their 12 rings in 12 days starting tomorrow, which is Thursday, May 11th. And they start out with a 365, and uh, then they will have a pot limit Omaha high-low tournament in event two. And uh, then the following uh, Friday, a week from Friday, May 19th, starts the main event. Friday and Saturday, two sessions, 11 a.m., 16.75 buy-in, and that's the next one coming up over there. So uh, I think that winds up the season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so a lot of uh, uh, great stuff happening out there on the, on the well, World Series listen, of Poker we're Circuit. O- we're only a couple of weeks away from, uh, you know, everything getting started in Vegas, the WSOP. So I would imagine this this will be probably, the, like you said, it is the last WPT one, right? Last uh, WSOP circuit. Uh, circuit event, excuse of me. Of the season. Yeah, and so then while they start putting right. all their attention to the, to the World Series. To the World right. Series. Exactly. Uh, also released this week was the schedule for the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, which will be... Uh, in August, it kicks underway uh, on August 3rd. They will have the Big Four once again, but a little bit different order. In fact, the the championship, uh, the which is going to be a three million dollar guarantee as opposed to a five. Uh, a lot of different competition and everything, but uh, uh, there's a lot of competition in that time of the year. So you know, they started off as a ten million dollar tournament, and then they went to a five for the last few years. Now it's going to be a three million dollar uh, guarantee this year. Uh, 5250 is the buy-in, $5,250, and that will be Friday and Saturday, two opening sessions, uh, the 11th and 12th of August. On the 9th will be the uh, $1,100 tournament, part of the Big Four. The 13th will start the 2650 freeze-out, and then uh, the high roller will be on the uh, 14th of August. So a whole schedule out there. It's on their website, and you can check that out. We'll, of course, be talking about that during the summer, but... Uh, uh, they did come out with the official dates for that, and uh, it's always something to look forward to here in South Florida. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, they've kind of scaled it back a little bit because it, 
it's coming on the heels of the uh, of the main event ending a couple of weeks prior to that in Vegas and I think if they kind of held this more towards the end of August instead of the beginning, it might have a little bit better turnout than they've been having recently because I think people are just kind of burned out. Burn Even out, though, burn Although out. coming yeah. down to South Florida in the summertime and going to the beach isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, but uh, it, it's kind of developed that little bit of a niche, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, you got to find those open areas, and that certainly is a month after uh, the main event ends. Yeah, not even a month, because usually the main event ends right around the middle of July, no? Yeah. And they're getting started on August 3rd. Right. So They need a little break. Yeah. Everybody needs a break. Uh, the other thing to mention uh, before we get to this uh, talk about seven-card stud is uh, uh, what's going on with uh, Poker in New York. Uh, they have actually moved forward on a bill that would uh, legalize online poker in New York State. It passed the Senate Finance Committee yesterday by a 27-9 to 9 vote, and uh, earlier in the year it had passed the, uh, the Senate Racing Committee, so it was a unanimous 11-0 vote there. So uh, it's to authorize gaming in uh, a gaming commission to uh, you know, offer what they mentioned is a game of skill, uh, specifically Omaha Hold'em and Texas Hold'em. So uh, the bill is sponsored by uh, John Bonachick, who has uh, taken up the cause over the last few years. And they they did have a bill last year, and it went through the Senate 53 to 5, but then it, went, it didn't get through the Assembly. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, they never even voted on it, but uh, they want to uh, set up uh, with a 15% tax and 10 licensed operators. But it's moving forward. And uh, one of the reasons was the big assemblyman that was against it, Gary Pretlow, uh, was worried about uh, cheating online and that sort of thing and talked about that. He was not confident about any uh, operator's ability to prevent cheating. And uh, he he visited with the Attorney General of New Jersey, who, of course, has had online poker and showed it to be safe and and effective. And he's uh, now satisfied that cheating can be prevented as reasonably as possible. So... He doesn't think that it's going to have problems in the New York Assembly, so we're actually moving forward finally with a bill, and New York would be a big step. Oh, yeah, especially, yeah, that, that, that's definitely one of the dominoes you want to fall as far as that's concerned. You know, outside of California being number one, I would imagine New York and even Pennsylvania, which we know kind of even put Which in, is put, still discussing put, it as they're well. They're still discussing it, and didn't they kind of already make arrangements in the budget yeah, for, for yeah. it and everything. So, yeah. you know, uh, they, they allocated money from something that's not legal yet in that state into their budget. So um, let's see. Uh, it'd be a great start. You know, maybe maybe kick California in the ass a little bit and get them to straighten out whatever problems they've got over there. Uh, the other thing is we're getting closer to the World Series of Poker, which begins uh, May 30th. Uh, actually, I think the first tournament is the 31st, but uh, several new events this year, including one called the Giant, which I know that uh, Bernard Lee will talk about next week. He's given away uh, a seat to that event, and we'll check it out. Uh, it's a 365 buy-in uh, with weekly Friday night flights at 7 p.m., uh, and then over several course of several weeks, and if you... Uh, uh, Make it to uh, the next fl- next flight. The opening flights are run very deep, and 
and uh, it's similar to the uh, Colossus, I believe, where you actually get paid out before you make it to the uh, next day. But you come back for a cumulative restart on July 8th, so it's, that'll be during the main event. So uh, that's called the Giant. Also, there's one called the Marathon with uh, 26,200 starting chips, which is <laughs> not exactly the amount of, of mileage uh, for for a marathon. I think it's 26,385, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> But uh, extended levels, 100-minute levels, a five-day event. Pretty amazing. 100-minute levels. Wow. 26.20 is the buy-in, $2,620. So uh, that is uh, coming up this year as a new event. There's, uh, I think, eight new events this year. They got rid of a couple, but there's 74 bracelets this year. I think last year was 69. So uh, they've gone up. And then uh, many of the proven events, obviously, are going to be back this year and uh, certainly will be a lot of fun. No, as we always say, we can't wait for this to happen. <laughs> but the whole schedule, big story on uh, on, the, on the WSOP website, so check that out if you want some more information, and we'll get some people on to talk about that before we get underway. But it's just around the corner now in a matter of, matter of a couple of weeks, so certainly looking forward to that. Okay, let's get to uh, a little talk about stud strategy. Uh, the articles we've been following have been on uh, Poker News by Ashley Adams, and I have not been able to hook up with him to get him on the show. But I do want to talk about a couple of things. Joe, you're, that was the game of choice for so many years for you and many others uh, back when you started playing. You know, so many people talk, people older than us, Dave, talk about how five-card draw was, was the game. I kind of remember seven-card stud as, as the game when I was, you know, a young boy, 12, 13 years old and playing poker at that age. And... Even when I started dealing poker here in the state of Florida, the first night it was ever legal, it was seven-card stud. You know, nobody knew much about Hold'em. Everybody was afraid of the game because they didn't know it. Right. So seven-card stud, and that's that's what we did. And then every now and then they'd throw in a little bit of draw, not in the legal card rooms down here, but if you played with your friends in the house game, you mostly played seven-card stud. Sometimes you played seven-card stud high-low. And also, Raz is a stud game. Raz is a stud game, but I, you know, didn't know about Raz, you know, for myself. I never really heard of Raz until probably the late '90s, early 2000, and it's a game that I love, you know, because obviously Raz incorporates almost the same exact skill level that you need to play seven card stud. I loved playing stud, and it's actually. You know, it's not like you're trying to see if aces, a pair, you know, two pairs of aces up are going to hold up if somebody doesn't catch a straight or a flush on you. You know, that's the only difference in Rash. You're just trying to make the, the, the best low hand that you possibly can. Right. And I think the information level there is even stronger because, you know, uh, if your opponent, if you know your opponent is, is fishing for a four and there's two or three of them out there, there's, there, you know, you've got a pretty good chance that he's not going to catch that case four or the two outer on the four, and it, it it plays out so differently. It's a game where you can be the aggressor and the favorite going into Seventh Street, you know, or into the river, whatever you want to call it, even though your opponent has you beat at that moment, only because you know your opponent can only improve to a certain hand while you've got so many cards to catch 
to be able to beat that hand. And you, you, as you have talked about before, uh, obviously memory is a more important part of this game, it remembering is. what was out on the board before people fold and their cards are collected up by the dealer. But uh, knowing that there are certain uh, cards that you may need that may have already been that dealt. They're gone. They're gone. You have to, and you have to know that. If you don't know that, you're going to cost yourself a lot of money in this game if you're playing it for cash, and you're just going to be eliminated quickly if you're playing it in a tournament style. Uh, he talks about uh, that most people uh, that have played stud have done it in home games, and there's a big difference between that and a $1,500 tournament, obviously, with the uh, the antes and the size of the uh, the bring-in, the forced bets uh, that are out there. And what he talks about is uh, that the uh, initial pot is is uh, much larger uh, in, initi- in, uh, in relative to the size of the initial bet. So, uh, you know, if you play in a game, uh, a 5 Five ten game, you know, you're wagering five dollars to win six, uh, ten dollars to win eleven, and ten twenty, and that sort of thing. Now there are cash games out in Vegas for stud, but most of them are thirty, sixty, and up. So it's exactly and games. and and in a lot of the stud games, I'll, I'll give you a, for instance here at, at where I work at Dania, the twenty forty seven card stud high low game that these gentlemen play. They you know in stud for those of you who don't really know the game. Uh, unlike they, they'll use a button. They'll use a button like they do and hold them, but the button is only to signify who's who's got an ante. Okay, the first card is always dealt to seat one, regardless of right. where the button is. Right. Unlike in hold them, where you're dealing the first card to the left of the button. As, or to the right of the button as you're, you, the dealer, are facing it. But so. whoever has the low card has to do the bring-in. Well, yes, but you still deal. The cards are dealt in right, the same exactly. order regardless no, of, of who has anything. The betting structure changes could change from from round to round. Well, what he talks about is in uh, in a tournament like uh, like you play out in Vegas at, at the World Series, uh, the first level is 100-200 with the $25 antes and a $25 bring-in. So all of a sudden, that first pot uh, is is so much larger than games you may be used to playing. It is, and, and tournament uh, seven-card stud, unlike cash stud, is you know the value uh, bring-in, you know the structure that you're playing stays the same in a cash game. Well, obviously in the tournament, it keeps going up. Eventually, it gets to a point where it's the same as playing no limit. You know, if, if you go deep enough in the tournament, the bet the betting structure is so large that, you know, a bet and a raise almost puts you all in, you know, or close to it. It's taken 10, 15, 20, 25 percent of your of your stack size. So one hand is going to be it for you because, you know, if you don't catch the right card, you, you're not going to have enough ammo to fight. So you have to kind of decide whether whether you this is the hand I'm going to make my stand on and try to take. You know, try to take that hand down. Well, he talks about risk and reward, and obviously the reward is so much better when you have that initial pot. So it's often a good idea to try to steal the blinds and annies uh, if well, you can. Well, and seven card stud, yes, because there, there's now, there, uh, the annies and the force uh, bets. I should right, say. the force bet and and the ante and the uh, bring in. What the, you know, what the right. the bring in, excuse me, and the ante that one particular player has to put in, and you know that's. That's the reason why in Hold'em they do have annies, you know, for everybody plus the blinds. It's just to build up the pot and to continually get more chips into the center to create action. The other thing uh, Ashley talks about is uh, uh, since a lot of people uh, 
may not be that confident in their game since they don't play it that much. They do enjoy it. They may want to try it, but uh, they're a little more risk-averse, so they're not going to be out there trying to, to push the envelope. They're not, and they're not going to realize the advantages, and that just comes with any poker game, to be honest with you, Dave. It's, uh, anytime you're learning any of these games, you're, you, you kind of, you know, you take a cautious uh, approach to it, and, you know, as you start observing how the game is actually played and the proper way to play it, you know, you start loosening up your, your requirements for playing the game and how you approach the game. Uh, but that's, you know, that's all part of the learning process of playing poker. Yeah, absolutely. The second article he wrote was about more about aggression. Uh, I want to get to that, but we do need to take a break here in the show. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the ideas that uh, Ashley discusses, factors to consider uh, when you're uh, becoming aggressive, but that uh, these particular games uh, in Seven Card Stud at the World Series, really uh, you can use aggression uh, very effectively. Yeah, and, and what I mentioned really quickly was about, you know, how some I, – I learned that the hard way of somebody constantly raising into me, knowing that I, I knew at that moment I had the best hand. But what I didn't realize until I got my ass kicked a few times was – you know, he was drawing to a much better hand when I couldn't. I couldn't improve to beat his hand if he improved. Right. And you know, when you have that and those cards in your favor with what's left, you, you know, you, it, it's right for you to continually to raise someone who, at the moment, is, has a better hand than you do. More so, like I said, in Raz. Okay. Well, we'll get back to this in just a moment. Uh, let's take a break here, though, on the show. Uh, you're listening to Poker Action Line, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. To uh, talk more, stud strategy, certainly uh, a game that people need to uh, look into when they're headed uh, for Vegas this summer because there are plenty of opportunities out there in cash games and, uh, of course, tournaments that uh, they don't normally get a shot at. So we'll be back with more of the show after these messages on Poker Action Line. Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. 
Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. Tuesday nights on WFO Radio are all about Nitro. Join Joe at 7 p.m. Eastern each Tuesday night for the live edition of NHRA Tuesday Nitro. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally every Tuesday night following NHRA national events. Tony Schumacher. Tony, welcome back. Love being on the show because it usually meant. So we did something absolutely amazing. NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to the final segment of the program. Big Dave and Joe here. And uh, talking uh, seven-card stud and not really Raz or uh, even high-low. Well, I guess high-low, I guess, is uh, part of this deal as well. Uh, uh, what... Which one did you like playing more, high low or I just love regular playing, stud? No, I love playing high low because it creates usually it creates more action because people are going two ways. But if you're lucky enough to catch a, a two way hand, you're going to catch a much bigger, you know, much bigger pot. You know, so that that excitement, you know, you you start uh, let's say uh, ace two three, and you happen to have all three suited cards, you're you're kind of jumping for joy. Because you now have a hand that's, you know, started with the three best low cards you can have, three to a, three to a straight and three to the ace high flush. So, you know, uh, you've got so many different ways to go with this hand. And, you know, sometimes it's a disguised hand. You know, all of a sudden you catch the ten of hearts and you continue to bet or raise. People are going, oh, this guy's going for a high. And then all of a sudden you, you backdoor into a low along with a, with a flush and you wind up scooping the pot. I, I, I really enjoyed playing seven-card stud uh, high-low. And even in the house games, you used to play with a spit, you know. I, I remember that uh, when you played those games, when you got down to the end, you had to declare whether you were going high, low, or both. Right. And you actually, under the table, you put a you couple chip, chips in your hand. Yeah, and you, then you no, chip, and, and no chip means means uh, you're going low. Or going low. Right. One chip means you're going high, and two chips means you're going both you're going ways. Both, so, uh, but uh, the way they used to play that was that if you declared both ways and you, didn't, and you won one and lost the other, the person you lost the other two uh, swept the whole pot. You know, you, you had to, if you declared both ways, you had to win both ways. Right. So I'm, I was never a big fan of the declare game. I prefer card speak, but uh, it does add a little fun to that game if you kind of figure out where your opponents are going. Sometimes you could steal a, you could steal half of a pot by just figuring out how your opponents are going to play their hand. And uh, one of the things uh, Ashley talks about in his second article was. Uh, uh, the important times to be aggressive, and it's not always when you just have the best hand. A lot of times you want to be uh, very aggressive if you're kind of like second best. Well, it's, as I was saying earlier in the show before we went on break, Dave, think about it. Uh, do you, do you, you've played Raz, right? You've played Raz. Yes, so I like let's Raz. Assume, let's I, I think I'm pretty good at Raz. Let's actually. assume you've got, you know, you're, you're, you're up against an opponent who right now, is betting into you, who's showing you a queen, 10, 9, 4. Because he looks at you and you have a pair of 8s and a pair of 7s. Let's just say you've paired both of your, your first four cards. you paired your 8 and your 7s. 
So he knows right now you technically really don't have a low. You really don't even have a right, low, right. even though you do have a low because in Raz there there's no, there's you know there there is no commitment to the eight or better. But you know that your your two down cards are let's say the ace and the deuce. Okay, so you got you, you know you and your opponent is sitting there with you know uh, queens you know queen ten you know nine ten nine whatever. You know the best hand that they can draw to is a ten. So if you draw, if they can, the best hand they can draw to is a 10-9, and you've got 8-7 ace-deuce with one card to come, think about it. You could catch any, any, any of six cards that will make you the winner in, in that hand. Right. So, you know, like I said, I used to be cautious in those events thinking, well, I don't have a low yet. But these guys, you know, the, 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 the professional RAS players, the people who knew how to play the game in the very beginning, were very aggressive with those hands. Because, first of all, you're not even going to know where they stand because the 7th Street is down. So they figure, I'm a favorite to win this hand. You, you, you could improve your hand, and it doesn't matter. If I happen to improve to a 10 or better, I'm gonna, I, I automatically have the best low hand. Right. Uh, two of the other things he talks about uh, is factors to consider, such as position. Uh, you know, that's an important part in all kind of types of Yeah, but in, but in seven-card stud, position changes after every round. Right. You know, the, the, the position not, doesn't, is, is not as strong as cards speak in seven-card stud, you right. know. Um, you know, you, you acted last uh, this round, all of a sudden you might be the first one to act. Or the player to your right is the first one to act, and now you've got to act and turn afterwards. So, you know, I don't know about position being the greatest thing. It's more of, of the hands that you're drawing to. Right. You know, you could have four hearts out there, but if I'm counting five hearts have, have already either been folded or still are out there showing, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know what? It's going to be very difficult for this man to have, you know, to have a flush or something. Yeah, it, it, like I said, uh, it could be towards a straight. You could have a pair of jacks. I got a jack in the hole and there's a jack out, so I know right there you don't have you don't have three of a kind. Well, what I should point out, I guess, is the, this this particular article talks about on Third Street after you've already gotten, you know, you, you have your two hole cards and, and the one card up. So the next hand uh, is is basically what he's looking at. And he, he you mean gives, the next round? The right. Next round. Right. Uh, but he said, like, if you had pocket fours and, and your up card is an ace, uh, you know, there's certain things that, that you're looking at. Uh, obviously, you're, you're, you're looking at dead cards if you see the four or the ace out there right. in someone else's hand. That, that suddenly changes you. For example, he says if two of your five outs are gone, then you might go from a 42% underdog to a 33% underdog. So it changes things uh, mathematically. Uh, but on, conversely, he says if, if uh, you know, you see a king out there with your opponent that you're going up against that uh, was the initial raiser and who you kind of eliminated everybody by raising and just isolating this one player, uh, you see another king out there, you know, he, uh, he suddenly you might be, be the favorite then. That's what I'm saying, right. You see, uh, well, like I said, it's, he's talking about third street. That's a little early, to, in my opinion, to be, you know, unless you've got cards underneath. Obviously, you're seeing already what's out there. Usually, it gets real tricky, more so on fifth street with two cards to come, you know. Yeah, people's hands are starting to form really seriously at that point uh, for those who are still in the hand and... Um, 
you know, you have to have, a, like you said earlier, you have to have a great, for people who have a great memory, because it's not just, obviously you can look at the cards that are still up there, but what about the cards that folded? Right. You need to know that. Yeah, exactly. You need to know that. And the person who, you know, the, the you know, in this game, in seven card stud, the the person who has a great memory has a huge advantage. Uh, his final line is, uh, he says, in this situation, uh, you need to be willing to drive up the cost of competing, even though you're second best, as the pot uh, infused with the larger antes and bring-ins will reward you sufficiently, even if you win less than half the time. Yeah, you know, the, the, he's, you're fighting for more dead money than you would in, in any other game, just about, you know. So, uh, like I said, here, you know which way your opponents are heading. And they care, they're kind of guessing as, as to where you're heading. So unlike uh, Hold'em, where you, they don't know what cards you have, you don't know what cards they have, you know, based on that, you can put pressure on your opponent, even though you know you're second best at the moment. These uh, articles are uh, available on uh, uh, Poker News, a uh, series of uh, articles on seven-card stud strategy. And uh, we'll try to get him on the show. He wrote a book, uh, Winning Seven-Card Stud, back in 2003 and uh, is an expert on uh, many of these games. Also has some articles on there, things to do in Vegas, uh, and ways to uh, prepare yourself for the series that uh, keep you fresh and, and, and ready to compete. Yeah, well, listen, um, I'd love to read what he has to say, but, uh, but I always remember what Bernard Lee, our guest for next week, always said about a year or so ago when he was telling us things people need to do to prepare themselves physically and mentally for for. for for the grind in Vegas. Right, absolutely. Uh, anyway, that's going to uh, just about do it for the program. Uh, one of the things I want to talk a little bit about le- next week is uh, about some rule changes that the WSOP just came out with. I just read about it a little bit today, and that is on uh, calling the clock. That uh, used to be you had to give them about two minutes before you decided to call the clock on somebody, and then once the clock was started, you had 60 seconds. Now it's down to 40. They've changed that, and they took away this two-minute requirement on uh, calling the clock on somebody. So, uh, again, uh, the floor will have to, you know, use discretion. Oh, I guarantee you, we're going to have a lot of fun with that this year in, yeah, in the tournament. Yeah, yeah so that was a that was a big point certainly. That, uh, that might be a Kasuf uh, rule this year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, we're wondering what. Uh, uh, what changes they're making uh, based on his performance last year and and how other players I, will be copycat him a listen, little bit. Uh, you should be allowed like they do in some of these tournaments where you have one chip that you're allowed to throw in there and uh, you use it that one time because these long decisions just it, there's no need for them to go as long as they do. Right, exactly. Sometimes it's pretty obvious that yep. uh, you know the Hollywooding is going yeah, exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, Again, we're about three weeks away here from our uh, start of the World Series of Poker. We'll have to decide if we're going to do a fantasy contest this year, whether we want to do that. Oh, Dave, Dave. I got destroyed last year. (laughs) (laughs) I've won won two years in a row. He won the the inaugural year. So we'll see. We'll see. My guys came through big time last year. Rep Porter. Rep Porter. Rep Porter was big. Just goes to show it's uh, not really a game of skill. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week with Bernard Lee, the week after, Dr. Tricia Cardner. So we're going to have some good shows here in the next couple of weeks. We hope you're with us. And uh, be sure and give us your feedback. Uh, Big Dave at PokerActionLine.com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll be back with more of another show next week here. And we'll see you then.
The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.